I'm Colby Spencer, and this is Vantropolis. This is Vantropolis, a podcast about the happenings, the goings-on, and the general day-to-day life and antics of the underslept masses working in Vancouver's film industry. I'm no expert. I'm just nosy. And if you are too, let's do this. Vancouver-based screenwriter Craig Wenman gets shit done. Whether it's pumping out a feature script first draft in one week or hammering through our podcast episode in under an hour, he's built a career out of laser focusing on the goal at hand and then barreling towards it with lightning speed. We discuss his multiple TV and film credits, when and how to break into L.A., the formula to script writing, yes, there is one, and why hustle beats talent almost every time. If you're an aspiring screenwriter, this is most definitely the episode for you. After we finished up, Craig and I sat down for drinks. And let's just say we covered enough content to basically fill up another episode, including a story where Sylvester Stallone himself pulled up to a stoplight in Beverly Hills, saw Craig standing on the corner, and proceeded to yell out, Hey, you look like me, before he drove off. Craig will definitely be back. Craig, hi. Hello. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I, do, I have not had any screenwriters, so I'm, I'm going to mine you. Okay. For all kinds of details, and a lot of them selfish, because I always wanted to be a screenwriter. Oh. I guess okay. it's not too late, but. It's never too late. It's never too about? late. We'll start with that. It's never too late. <laughs> so you just got back from L.A. I wanted you to tell everybody about that. It's so fitting that you're a screenwriter and you just got back from L.A. That's like the cliche intro. It is. Uh, but I live in White Rock. I'm like a local yokel. Yes, you are. We just go down for business and premieres, and then we come back and do all the writing here. I love that. We're going to get into that. So a BC boy, born and raised. Yeah, I went to high school in Langley, DW Poppy. Full Uh, suburbanite. I was born in White Rock. I lived in Ottawa, Ontario for years. But yeah, no, Vancouver's the best place. And so growing up, did you want to be a screenwriter? Did you think about writing? Yeah, well, I was always a writer. I just didn't know you could get paid to do it for movies. And stuff like that. So when I grew up, I was just the class clown, as you know. And the teacher just said, if you just shut the hell up for a couple minutes during class, you can read your stories at the end of class. And I was like, grade six. And so that's when I was like, oh, you can get people's attention by writing and not just saying stupid. It's so interesting when (laughs) all kind of my age group growing up in school and probably still now, if you wanted to be in the arts, you were really like in many ways a troublemaking student, but there was no outlet for that, right? It was, it was difficult to have that as like a legitimate career and something that you would actually be encouraged to do. Yeah, exactly. You were always seen as an outlier or a problem child, right? Which is so interesting to me because I think the arts, it's such a disadvantage and disservice to the arts. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, especially because your your parents are saying, well, Michelangelo still got hired by someone, so you got to go out there and make money with your art. And Michelangelo still got notes on what to do with his paintings. It wasn't just like a free-for-all for Michelangelo. Yeah, exactly. So it's a tough. It's and we'll a, get into that with, with the business of writing. So so when when did you first kind of think this could be a career? You, you know, you wrote in school and, and kind of got that chance. But when did you actually think? Because, you know, we grew up in the 90s, yeah, right? We're yeah, kind of yeah, the yeah. same age. Uh, and I've talked with other guests. It's very difficult to to know that path in those kind of days. Yeah, just because it was the '90s, so you didn't have the internet. It sounds so old. It does. But we are old. Didn't really had you know. You had to know someone really to get in. Whereas now you can just Google search. But you knew enough to go to school. 
Like you went to film school. I didn't even know that existed, actually. I went to like uh, community college, like uh, UFV, I think it's called now. And I just heard some other guy in the class say, after this, I'm going to film school. And I was like, well, there's oh, wow. there's a film school? <laughs> like, it was the 90s. You didn't even no, you didn't didn't. really have access to this stuff unless it was like NYU. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, NYU, that's... Yeah, or right. I know I looked at Ryerson for journalism, for example. But right, that was right. like across Ryerson the country. I, and I wanted to do journalism at first. It was just anything to do to write. And then I heard that guy say that. And I was like, that kind of changed everything. And then I just had an extra elective that I had to fill. And so I saw this this outline. It said, uh, you watch movies for the fil- for the course at UFE. You watch movies and then you write an essay on it. I'm like, wow, that is like the dumbest course I've ever heard. We're just going to watch movies? And then the teacher said, oh, and you can also bring a cooler in. So if you want to bring drinks and stuff. I'm like, well, that is the course right there. Of course, that would be a film teacher, though. (laughs) They were not teaching science, right? Right, right. But what I didn't know about my film teacher is he was also like – he had like a doctorate in in English and writing and, and, you know, literature and stuff like that. So I actually failed the course of watching movies and then writing an essay because I didn't know how to write an essay. I knew right. how to write a script or, well, maybe I didn't know how to write a script then. but Yeah. And then, so then it just became about, uh, well, I'll show you. <laughs> That's how I got in the film. Amazing. Just to prove that professor wrong, that I knew what I was talking about. I just couldn't say it yet. Yeah. So that was film school. That was that was at UFE, and then I found Vancouver Film School gotcha. after okay. that. And that was, I mean, how long had Vancouver Film School even been around then? It was a while, and because originally they pitched it because that's where Kevin Smith went right. from Clerks and Mall Rats, and he's one of their most famous alumni. Yeah, and their most famous dropout because he dropped out like halfway through, so he could get the rest of his money back for the tuition, and he used that to make Clerks. I love Kevin Smith. But they didn't tell you that in the newspaper article that I read. <laughs> VFS edited that part out. Yeah. Like, that's not good for tuition fees. But VFS right now is really good. The writing program they have now is is good. When I was there, they did, it wasn't a writing campus. Right. And so they, they've they made that now. And I've heard very good things about the writing program. Yeah, because they come out and they have like two feature scripts done and, and uh, some short scripts done and... So Whereas how did you feel I came going out there? With nothing. So like, you didn't you, you didn't make anything there. You don't come out with scripts. I, uh, none of because, oh, because it was early on, and you had to vote. Like the teachers voted on scripts, and if the teachers didn't like you, uh, not, none of my stuff got made. Oh, I was like nuts. the the focus puller on on the movies and stuff like that. So were you discouraged, or how did you feel coming out of that? Again, it was just this kind of attitude of I'll show you. Right. It's That's kinda, awesome, though. I love just that. Have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. <laughs> Sometimes it works. it works. That's motivation. Sometimes it works, but you just can't carry that chip for too long. Yeah, exactly. It's a good motivator to start, but if you have that on your shoulder, you're never going to make a movie ever in your Right. Life. So did you know about the film industry then? Like, what year was that? Uh, 99. Okay. So not super big yet. It wasn't booming like it is now, obviously. Yeah, yeah. There was just, you know, like we got out and we didn't know what to do, so we worked as, like, PAs on, on set PAs for free on set, and uh, any notable shows that we would know. No, I worked on music videos. Okay, and uh, actually, I only did the PA the one time, and I said I'm never going to do this again. I know you, and, so you and a million was, others. That was the that was the other motivator. And it's funny though, uh, the guy who I did, who was the director on that, I'm now working with on other big budget projects. Well, that's the thing too, right? Is like uh, you know, it comes up time and time again on here. Is like saying yes to stuff. It, it often leapfrogs you into many other opportunities you never even saw connected. Yeah, you always say yes. You always say yes, yeah. No matter what. 
Yeah. Because the people that, say, paid me a dollar to write a script are now paying me a lot of dollars to write a script. Yeah, exactly. It kind of pays off in spades. It just does. saying yes. So so then what? Give me give me the kind of trajectory down to now because, I mean, like I said to you before we started, I, I feel like you don't think you've done a lot. But if I look at you as a Canadian screenwriter, what you've accomplished, I'm I'm impressed. <laughs> you're the one. <laughs> That's why you're here, Craig. I think Rob McCallum's why we're here. <laughs> hopefully, Thanks, our, Rob, by the yeah, way, <laughs> hopefully our pal will leave us alone. Now we're here. You gotta be. You gotta be on this podcast. Oh, he's um, so sweet, my one fan. <laughs> now I'm your fan too. I'm your okay. fan too. He- well, we'll see how this looks in the end. <laughs> you may not be. Uh, exactly. Craig was a jerk. Um, so yeah, after film school, uh, went and did everything, went and did like corporate videos. Uh, me and my friend John, we went and did wedding videos. So more production than writing in that, in that regard. Oh yeah, absolutely. But then as we started editing the, the wedding videos, we kind of took them in a a new kind of weird direction where some of the brides weren't happy and they're like, well, you're just trying to put too many like comedic moments in this and you stuff like that. You found some arcs. Yeah, exactly. We found character arcs on that guy who had his first drink at, you know, 1 p.m. to him at, you know, 2 in the morning. You know, Suddenly just, it was the wedding singer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm holding those, the microphone so you will listen to everything. Those poor people. Those poor people. They're like, what is this at the end? This is a very This guy strange, needs to go make movies. Very strange wedding video. And I think we were doing those for 300 bucks and we'd split it. Wow. You That's know. still pretty good. It's okay. <laughs> but it takes a while to do those yes, things. Yes, it does. And then you also have screaming brides at you all the time saying, yeah. uh, Bridezillas. You're a terrible person. Yeah. <laughs> it's never fast enough, right? Yeah. The photography's never fast enough. The videos are never fast You're enough. You're just dealing with people at the like the most stressful moment of their life besides a funeral or moving. Yeah, that's actually so, true. That's true. Um, so after, so I did that and I directed some uh, music videos uh, for local Vancouver people here. And then I met my now wife, and she said, wow, you really don't know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> you need to focus. She, is she still saying that? No, she's good now. <laughs> she's, she's come around. For I meant as a husband. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so she just said, uh, take a year off. Uh, I'll support you for that year. Learn how to write in that year because that's what you want to do. And if you haven't accomplished anything by the end of that year – then you can work at my dad's dealership washing cars. And again, another motivator. Just, but that's know. amazing to have that free reign on a year, and that's like a great supportive spouse. It, it was, but then, you know, you have to suffer at the same time. You know, we, uh, there was times where we didn't have heat. Yeah, totally. Or money for, like, toilet paper. Yeah, absolutely. So we had to use the Georgia Strait. No offense to Georgia Strait. I love you. Great publication. <laughs> but it was like the free paper that was on the yes. street, and you would just crumple up. It was – anyways – uh, so, you know, you got to, so how did you, you start that year? Like th- that was like day one of 365. Day one. I just treated like a job. I just got up at nine, showered, uh, you know, and just went and at that time was writing like eight hours a day. Cause I thought that's what screenwriting was. You're supposed to do a job like a normal person, nine right. to five type thing. And then I realized it's not that, but, uh, it helped me just get stronger, like, you know, I don't think re- I don't think people realize how much work it is, right? And you listen to many podcasts. I listened to like Elizabeth Gilbert did a master class on creativity. I listened right. to, and it actually spurred me to start this podcast. Oh, cool! I was procrastinating forever. Yeah, like total perfectionist, scared to start. And I listened to her, and I was like, "There's zero excuses now." She's literally just telling me to 
just go do it. And she yeah. set an egg timer every morning for 30 minutes. And she's like, even if I sulked and it just buzzed off, that was my day. And I was okay. That was my 30 minutes. And sometimes I wrote for two hours and it went off and I just kept going. But I don't think people realize it's like that day-to-day routine. You can't just like sit down and miraculously write a script and, and have success. Like Right. It's just you just have to fail your way up. And just fail a little less each time or or even fail more. You learn learn more from that failure than that victory for sure. Um, you know, treat it like a job and you'll get it as a job. Treat it as, oh, I'm gonna wait around for inspiration. You'll be waiting all day, you know. Yeah. Sulking and crying and checking Facebook and Instagram and like most writers. Trying to get likes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like all the writers that I know. <laughs> so you really liked I love that you liked mysteries. You kind of watched like mystery stuff with your mom. Tell me a little bit about that. I love that little piece that, that it kind yeah. of spurred some of your kind of cool mystery stuff that you wrote. Well, that was actually when my mom went into labor with me. It was like a Sunday night mystery movie. They used to do these big mystery movies every Sunday, uh, you know, kind of like a Murder, She Wrote type thing. And then right as a credit roll, uh, I, she went into labor with me, and I was born after a TV movie. Oh, my gosh. So was, Talk about destiny. It was sealed in fate that <laughs> I'm going to be writing for Vancouver TV movies. That's amazing. Uh, which is cool. And then, so then growing up, we always watched The Murder, She Wrote and, and The uh, Poirot and uh, anything, The Father Dowling Mysteries, anything like that. Did you read mysteries at all? Yeah, yeah, all the Hardy Boys, anything, Agatha Christie, anything like that was really cool. And then you become a teenager, and then you're like, oh, I need something more aggressive. It needs to go darker. We need yeah. to go Stephen King. Yes. Because is Stephen King will still be set up in the exact same formula that those Agatha Christie, there's just a little more gore, a lot more gore, and more description about that, and just sheer terror. Yeah, exactly. So, like, stuff like Pet Cemetery was really big for me and stuff like and It and... Yeah, well, I used to. I used. Did usual. you get paranoid? I used to get paranoid reading all those like thrillers and detective stories and mysteries. I would oh, like yeah, think people were following. Like I would. I would like get neurotic. Oh no, kidding! Because my mom and she still does it. Will turn over the book so she can't see the cover of the book <laughs> because it just reminds her of how terrifying the book is that she's reading. I know. I've had to ease up on them. I think maybe with motherhood. I don't know. It's just. I already go so dark as a parent now right. and worry about so much shit. Yeah. That I'm like, do I really want to read about some? person that's being chased and you know it just like I don't know I've gotten soft Craig (laughs) (laughs) it happens but so when I had kids it was that was like all the more fodder for terrifying things right now you're a terrified parent yeah channel that anxiety and that's what Pet Cemetery was their kid dies and I want to bring my kid back right it's the ultimate terror of parenting so talk to me about the formula part. You just mentioned that, and I know you and I talked before about how formulaic writing is. I don't think people also understand, you know, the regular public, that there's a formula to writing a script. There's a formula to everything. There's lines in a sonnet. There's, you know, there's haiku. There's beats. There's, it's like every other art. There's a, in an essay, there's a very specific opening paragraph and closing paragraph, and it's the exact same in film. So... If you're dealing with a network, they really have to see everything ahead of time. Um, so they'll want to know exactly all those page marks. And so something, you know, your main story starts at your page 30, uh, you know, and then your page 60 is a reversal of. So like if back in Back to the Future, he goes back to the past and then we see his problem, what he has to do. He has to get back. But in page 60 in Back to the Future, I think it's him realizing that even if I get Back to the future, 
I'm not going to exist because I've screwed up my right. parents' meeting. So just always, if you think about it that way, it's really simple. Whatever your main story is on page 30, just reverse it the exact opposite on page 60, and then you're good to go. And a good film, you don't notice that because I know I've taken some script stuff. Yeah. And now I watch movies and I'm like, ah, oh, here we go. It's happening. Here's the problem, and right? It's, and it's getting earlier now, too. Uh, originally, Is that because of attention span? Yeah, absolutely. It's because of channel flicking and YouTube and stuff like that. Because originally it was like page, you know, you go back to the 80s, and I don't even think Eddie Murphy shows up in 48 hours to like maybe page I would agree with you 40? because if you watch old it's old drama like St. Elsewhere is a good example. Right. It's so slow. It's really And it's so slow. unfair that we're now so impatient, but it's like nothing's happening. You know? Right, right, right. But I think we're also doing a return with that way. You see with Netflix and stuff like that, you're seeing these long story arcs over a season. Right. So I think that's where it changes. But like in feature movies, you know, something is changing on page 25. And I wonder if that's the same for like European cinema. No. No, it's no they no. don't have any rules. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> they can, and it's torturous watching some Because <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, and I think that's the point. And then I find because of all the superhero movies and stuff like that, everyone's, like, for Oscar movies, they're really slowing down their stories a lot, and they're kind of going a European way, um, which can also be testing as well. So yeah. oh, when, when, when's something going to happen? Oh, right. No, it's... There's nothing happening. Nothing's happening. <laughs> That's the point. Well, we're, and, we're and when films anti-hero when story. films do that, I remember the pledge, and I don't right. want to spoil yeah, it for yeah. anyone. It is a fantastic film, and it ends like that. And yeah. Sean Penn was like, "Too fucking bad." Like, yeah, this is life. Life doesn't always end tidy. Sean Penn's good for that. I really like Sean Penn. Actually, I know he gets a lot of flack, but uh, yeah, I know just the movies can be slow. But if you're patient, sometimes they pay. Mystic River with Sean Penn paid off. Uh, what was the one he did with Emile Hirsch in the Wild? Into was, the Wild, yeah. What is it called? In, it's like Into the Wild. <laughs> well, the book was was the book Into the Wild. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched the movie. I read the book. Oh, watch the movie. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like you know it's the classic cliche like don't don't do both because you'll be disappointed. The book's always better, but is the book always? I don't know. That's another podcast. <laughs> that's the name of the that's podcast. That's when I run out of guests for this one. <laughs> we'll go into that. Go into authors. So how did you write? What was your kind of first script that you, like, I guess my question for me is, like, the question for me is, you you have this year. You're writing, you know, every day. What do you, what is your end goal? What, what was kind of, where did you gain some traction? Because, you know, that's such a big question for people is, like, how do I do this? And how do I actually, like, get a job doing this? Yeah, for me, it was just like I would do, just as you say, you say I'll do one for them and then one for myself. Yeah. So you do something big, you do something bombastic, and then you do the small indie film. And then you find if you checkerboard it that way, both will help the other one. Right. You so know, you did do indie, you wrote for smaller things too. Yeah, or yeah. Just writing like, like Coen Brothers and, you know, stuff like Fight Club and American Psycho and Natural Born Killers. I see there's quite a dark progression <laughs> of those movies. But yeah, no, those are my favorite movies, and they're still my favorite movies. Um, they're just harder to get made because they're so anti-establishment. Right. And the establishment is the one who's funding every one of your films. Which is why some are better left as indies. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure, absolutely. Or, or like Canadian content, if you can get it supported and financed. You yeah. Know, but then it has to have that element of Canada. Yeah. And I don't know how, how like— I don't know how PG they are with some of that stuff in Canada. Yeah, no, I, we're just getting funding right now uh, on a true story through Canada. I just talked to him today. It's about a bank robber. It's a true story. 
Uh, he breaks out of jail, meets the love of his life, and he's still on the lam, so he has no way to make money. So he robs 59 banks in three years and makes 2.5 million bucks in the 80s, so in the mid-80s. And I don't even know this story. I know. And that's the thing. We have so many Canadian stories that, we, again, we, we don't tell enough of them. Yeah. And everybody has their eye in America. I get it. It's a mass market. Yeah. But, ah, I just, I, you know, the way Europe kind of fosters their own content, I wish, I wish we would do more of that. Well, sometimes we do, and sometimes it's a very specific uh, voice, especially for East Coast. East Coast is very more Europe than Vancouver. It's like, well, well can't we do a combination of them? Yeah. Whereas East Coast, no, we're doing this. Yeah. And so you get some really weird And do you mean like films. Quebecois or do you mean more Maritimes or No, I mean like like uh like uh Ontario and and Quebec and all that stuff uh which is good cuz you'll get some really great stuff from Don McKellar and all those guys like Hardcore Logos a really great movie that kind of shaped my life and yeah. uh you know but they're few and far between just because funding's tough uh so did you see a career in the States? I mean, everybody looks to L.A., of course, right? You want to be a writer. Yeah. Um, you, you obviously turn that way because you see the successes there in Hollywood. Yeah, because I couldn't even get a meeting in Vancouver until I went to L.A. And then the L.A. producers introduced me to that so person who yeah. turned me down. And that person I still work with like every day. <laughs> We're talking about you. We're talking about you, Front Street. <laughs> Oh, Front well, Street, yeah, yes. Yeah, love you, Harvey Khan. Tried and true. Yeah. Oh, he's a great guy. So what was your kind of TSN turning point here? You know, you, like, to me, I want to know when you kind of had that break in your own mind that you felt you'd move from just, you know, trying to get this career to actually feeling like, like, what got made? What was something that got made that was a big moment for you? Oh, the, the stuff that got made at first was just, like, really, really terrible stuff. But, you know, a bad credit is still better than no credit. And you got paid like, for those. Yeah, barely. Yeah. So so let's and talk about that too, the optioning of a script. What is that for people that don't know? Oh, it's you, great. It's just, you know? yeah, yeah. You just write the script and they say, we'll give you a chunk of money now. And then if it gets made, we'll give you a bigger chunk of money. So for the first, you know, three years, I just lived off option money of stuff I knew was never going to get made because it was over a certain budget and stuff like that. So then right. I just wrote something specifically for a million dollar budget and we shot it for like 80 grand and it was the worst thing ever. It was just so disheartening <laughs> to watch the premiere of this movie and you're like, oh, that's the worst movie ever. And then your name's on it. Right. <laughs> but, you know, and we talked about, is it better to just have something made, like you write it and you get option and it never gets made? That's a tough call. You know, because you yeah. might write something like I thought about that. Oh, if I want to write a feature and I had an idea, but it's like, do I want to sell it or do I want to make it for cheap? Like, what's the right choice? There's no right choice. Yeah, it just depends on your story. You know? Yeah, for sure. You want to let it go because once you let it go, you also lose a lot of control, right, as as the writer. But you lose all control. As a writer, you're an employee. You know, you're working at McDonald's. There's a manager that's above you. There's, there's yeah, that's guy, a good way to look at it. There's a guy working at, at, on lettuce that's higher than you. Yeah, right. You know, mopping the floor. So there's always, you know, if Martin Scorsese's not getting final cut on his films, unless he works with Netflix, then he does. You know, you're, it's... It's a slippery slope that you're on. You're, you're an employee at the end of the day. Um, you know, again, do some, do a painting, write a write a haiku. But for this, it's it's a very specific business, and it's a collaborative business, unlike probably any other business out there. Because you're getting notes from people who have a degree in business administration about story. You know, so it's always Absolutely. just like. But at the same time, you're going to meet some really great execs as well. But 
you know, just like any job. But that's what's great about screenwriting and making film is if you don't like your boss, you'll you'll have a new boss the next movie. Yeah, exactly. Because it's so it's so yeah. fluid, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like advertising was like that too. Yeah, nobody stayed very long. Well, that's Everybody- why I start out in advertising and and uh, before before all the film, and it's like, oh, I want to do marketing. And well, so, and a lot of people say like 30-second commercials are short. They're oh, basically absolutely. the same arc, right? You have the same sort of beats, but you have to do it in 30 seconds. Yeah. And you can hone it by writing so many, obviously, burn-through scripts. Oh, I just love that. I just love to see how you can hook people that quick on a first image and then give the twist on that image. And you can make someone cry in a commercial. I know. You're probably a better writer than most writers out there, you know. I know, and I don't know if it's easier or harder because it's, it's the same thing. It's just condensed. You know? I don't know. You still I've have to hit the same points. Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. So when was your first trip to L.A.? Had uh, you been, like, when you were a kid and stuff? Or oh, yeah. We'd, we'd like go Disneyland every, every and all that kind Disneyland, of thing? And we'd go to Hollywood and we'd go to the Sunset Strip and try to see all the rock bands of that time. But we were just too young. Doesn't it feel so... Uh, like, a, like a veil of secrecy when you're young and you go to Los Angeles? Yeah, and you just think it's going to be a gold-plated streets, and then you realize that the streets aren't as nice as the streets in Vancouver. Yeah, like Hollywood (laughs) Boulevard. I didn't realize Hollywood Boulevard, there was, like, prostitutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that was a fall from grace when you go there and see all these stars, and you're like, where is this? And you see Which way did they shoot this from on on TV? Because Hollywood Boulevard's not even, like, Granville Street's nicer than Hollywood Boulevard. I know. And it was just heartbreaking, because I think uh, Hollywood and America tends to really— Glamorize. Uh, they glamorize it, you know, for better or worse. And so as a little innocent Canadian, you go down there and you're like, this is all it is? This is there's a lot of cracks in the sidewalk. This is L.A. there's garbage everywhere. So what was your first kind of flight down work-related? Um, I won a contest, a screenwriting contest. And so my mom paid for my ticket. I love that. How, how old were you? <laughs> too old for my mom to buy a ticket. <laughs> you know what? Maybe you're never 20, too old for your mom to buy a ticket to L.A. Come on. Maybe 21. That's not too old. Okay, well then. I still I, lived I at home for God's sake. Uh, I was working at Earl's. You were flying to LA with a screenplay. Like, come on. I was drinking at Earl's at that time. <laughs> I probably overserved what you a Earl's few times. Did you work at? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> in Surrey. I worked in Surrey. Oh, wow. Craig. Oh, that was the tough Earl's. Yes. Oh, I have some stories. I, I had to call 911 once. <laughs> really? For a man that broke down the doors because he took a steak home and it was cold. And he called me back and said he was coming for me. Wow. Yes. See? And why was I being a manager? I was like five foot nothing and like 23 <laughs> years old. Sorry, Earls. That's terrifying. <laughs> I'm coming back. But it, it kept me edgy. I like it. I pull it out. <laughs> when I need to pull it out, I do, it's right? experience. The Surrey's always there just under the surface. Yeah, if yeah, If I need absolutely. to, you know, shank someone, I will. Exactly. It's uh, And then it's only like a 15-minute drive from here, really. That's right. 20 minutes. Yeah, just close enough uh, and just far away enough. So, my so you're first, on this flight. Yeah, you won this contest. I didn't win the contest. Oh. I placed in the top 10, and then the top 10, they were going to read out, like, all the stuff. And they hired, like, actual professional actors to read it, which was cool. Uh, I can't remember any one of those actors' names. But at the time, they were, like, all the, the people you would know from the shows, like Malcolm in the Middle and stuff like that. And not the ones you know from Malcolm in the Middle. But, uh, That's pretty cool, though. How'd you even know about the contest? I just found it online. It was like right at the beginning kind of of the internet, really. Like it was, I'd read about it. Did you have like a Unix 90. account? <laughs> I did not. I had an AOL account. I had a Unix account at SFU. And like I had one person that emailed me. It was another student. <laughs> <laughs> like nobody was on the internet. I had the original Hot Mail 
at Hotmail. What? Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Now if you have a Hotmail account, people don't even want anything to do with I you. I know, and I do actually have a Yahoo account. That's I, I do too. People are starting to call me on it. It's embarrassing. I'm like, okay, I'll move over to Gmail, yeah. fine. Gmail, I mean, I, I sign petitions, and then it's like, save the Pacific kelp forest. And it's like, Colby Spencer, Yahoo.ca. <laughs> and they're just like, get out of here, you fraud. <laughs> don't come back here This is a again. bot. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it was on my birthday as well. So I went down for the screenwriting contest. It was going to read out. And then, so I landed, and the contest wasn't until the day later. And then I just said to the cab driver, it's my birthday. Take me wherever you would take a 21-year-old on their first birthday in, in America. And so he just drove me, of course, to the Sunset Strip and all the, you know, all the debaucherous stuff that that was. And I met David Lee Roth from Van Halen. Oh, my God. I said, you're from Canada. I love Canada, man. You're drinking all night for free on me. And that was my first L.A. experience. That's and pretty thought, good. It's going to be like this every time I come down, but that was the only time. Yeah. <laughs> they sent him out for you just to give you hope, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was the ambassador that he they was sent available. Out for the Canadians. But like David Lee Roth will do. Yeah, he's got nothing else going on right now. <laughs> so that was my first trip to LA, and it ended, uh, yeah, no, it ended well because then I just kept going from there. So were you like happy with how your career was going? Did you still have a lot of, you know, big goals? And were, did you feel like you were on track? I don't think you should ever be happy with where your career's going, you know. I think if you're content, then you just kind of stay. So while you're doing this, you have to be doing another thing. Like I edited 106 pages this morning on one project, and then after this I'm going to a meeting to edit another 106 pages on a different uh, project. Um, so, yeah, after after the contest, I came back, and that's when I really started starving because I thought everything was going to change. I just met David Lee Roth. Everything, yeah, of course. Every, everything's going to change. And then it just doesn't. And uh, you just have to hustle. I think hustle will beat talent pretty much every time if your hustle's consistent. Um, so it's I, so good to hear that, though, because writers, it's a very lonely job. I know writer friends. Yeah. And they, they don't get out enough. And they yeah, have they, self-doubt. Yeah. And you, they option things and they get rejected. Self-doubt is just the biggest killer of all creativity of all time. Yeah. Um, and it's tough for a lot of people. Just someone saying you suck. Or someone, someone writes, I remember my first movie, uh, they wrote uh, a review and they said this, writer should be killed, then thrown to the, to the lion's. Then hopefully he's not dead so he can feel the flamethrower. Are you serious? <laughs> when people say that about music critics too, it's so like disgusting what they write and they don't even know how to play anything, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But that's just the nature of the business. Once, once you realize that, and that was lucky because that was like my first movie. So I was like, wow, that's really, that's really aggressive. But then it came back to another, well, I'll show you. I'm going to keep going. I'm not, you know. Good for you, get, though, because that's internal motivation. Seven times, you know, get up eight. Um, well, nobody can do that but you inside. Yeah, exactly. You can't just wait around for other people to motivate you or other people to give you a break. You have to chase that break or you have to track, you know, you have to hunt that, hunt that thing down because it's, you know, no one's waiting to read your script at any point in their life. They're not sitting around in L.A. saying, oh, this random person I've never met in his mother's basement is... I lived in my mother's basement. <laughs> so it wasn't a random person. It, it was, was you. very specific to my experience. <laughs> but no one was waiting around to say, oh, I wonder what that guy's going to say. You know, And it was just that the hardest thing to get over was that idea that the world doesn't owe you anything. You know, you just... 
got to get over that. You got to get over the idea that an idea is not the best just because you thought of it. Mm-hmm. An idea can always be better. It can always be re- rewritten and improved. And it's just that idea of separating yourself. And, you know, you have to send your baby off into the world. You give your script away. You sell it. It's not yours anymore. You have no rights to it. They can offer you to rewrite it or they don't, you, you know. But and you, and just, you can lose writing credit, right, if it's so much of it is reworked? Is that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But usually the first writer in, even if they don't really have anything, they get credit. Okay. And do you and what about trademarking and stuff? Like, how do you protect your stuff? And that um, was early on. Like, did you know all those things? Yeah. Well, I started researching copyright and trademark and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you can't really, you know, because even if your script, like the idea will be really great, but your script's terrible, they could still take an idea. So you can register it with the Writers Guild so you have some proof of it. Mm-hmm. But the more detailed your work is, the less likely it'll get stolen by. That being said, I've had stuff stolen and made into oh, major shit. motion pictures. Really, everyone listening—if they're still listening to my cartoon voice—they've oh, uh, they've seen them. That's disheartening. Yeah, because they'll just be a good action scene or a thriller scene. Oh yeah, I remember a script I mm-hmm. read three months ago. We didn't buy it, but this was the idea, and that's just kind well. Of, and that's advertising too. They take spec work. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. And a lot of people are against spec work now. Yeah, for that reason, like no, we have a great reputation. We've given you ideas. We pitched it. Yeah. We're not giving you spec work. Yeah. Right? But So how was the film industry here for you? Did you have a leg in here at all, or were you just looking to the States? I had no leg in here until I went to the States. And I did that through, there was a site I was using. It was like an online brokerage called inktip.com, which you know, they don't pay me any money, but they should. Um, but it was just a way for an outsider to get into the business. And what is Inktip for people that don't know? It was just you can go up and just put your story premise and you can upload your script. And then people in the industry can just go through like Google. It's like Google for scripts. Okay. So if you're looking for, you know, like a single white female type script or a hand that rocks a cradle or, you know, any type of script. You can uh, search. They, you type in those search items. You type in the budget and it, and it comes up. And then they can download your script, and you see exactly who downloads your script. And do you pay to be on this? Yeah, I don't know what it is now, but I've been on for a while. But that's amazing. That connects you so quickly it's to a million worth, other people. Yeah, it's worth more than contests because also agents and managers go on there. So, so that, I didn't. I didn't even know that. that's how people look for scripts. In fact, I had no clue how people look for scripts. Yeah, I thought it was this inside little upper echelon of people that you cannot penetrate. You know? Yeah, well, it, it certainly is, but then you get. You know, someone who's an assistant downloading your script and taking it to their boss because it's how they get their promotion. You right, know, if for they finding find something, something that's really good and really random off of someone in Ohio or wherever. Uh, you know, it's I've seen that a lot with that, music too, like yeah. you know, uh, obscure bands getting success on TV shows, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened to a podcast uh, of this guy that just sources that. Yeah, those really well, cool. Well, that's how Journey found the replacement singer, right? Is with, it uh, going through YouTube? Oh, I didn't know that. Billie Eilish got famous just doing stuff on YouTube. And yeah, then YouTube now she's was like the number one. YouTube was a big. I mean, it's. I don't know if it's still as big now of, of being able to really like. You know, catapult yourself to was get MySpace before that was. Oh, MySpace! <laughs> You're dating us now, Friendster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Were you on Friendster? I was never on Friendster. Friendster right. was like the original Facebook. Like, right. how many friends could you have? Right. Really? Yeah. Right. And then it just disappeared. 
Let's talk about garage sale mysteries, Craig. <laughs> okay. okay. I, want to, I want to take a hard right turn and talk sure. about garage sale mysteries for a couple reasons. Obviously, you know, we can get into the Lori Loughlin kind of scandal. And the reason I want to talk about that stuff. is more just how it affected you. Because you can be at the mercy of a lot of these bigger things that happen in Hollywood and L.A. and, and the film world that are oh, nothing yeah, to do with your with you. Yeah. But you kind of are, you're like collateral damage, right? You're lumped in with that. So tell me about the garage sale mystery stuff. Because I have to be honest, I'd never heard of it. Right. And I went and looked it up, and I was like, this is a fucking smart premise. This it's, is a good idea. It's just huge. It's just huge. It's they a good a idea. Huge it was the number one show on the network. And how did you come up with that? Like, for I example. Didn't come up with, I came into it because okay. it, was always, it was already a series of movies, and it was just through someone I met on Ink Tip. We had written a really bad movie for Sci-Fi Channel, like in 2008. What was that called? Uh, Fireball. Okay. <laughs> I feel <laughs> I, like I, my I, husband started his career in lighting on many of those. I tell you, probably. <laughs> Um, but like Ian Summerholder, Halder was the yeah, star. Yeah, I know him. A really handsome dude from Vampire Diaries. Yes. And local Al Ponovic, who's equally dreamy. Um, so yeah, so that was just the director from that one. And he just remembered that I could write banter between the leads and stuff okay. like that. And uh, I had just got into Hallmark through another show that was called Murder, She Baked, which was like murder she wrote that I, I watched when I grew up. So it's like, oh, yeah, I could do Coming that. Coming full could, circle. Yeah, I could do that completely. Your mom's like, please take this yeah, one. Please take this. <laughs> I will be proud of you only then. And, uh, yeah, so then that, out oh, of murder she baked, they said, well, this guy can fill in for their main writer who created the series was retiring. Oh, okay. And so I got to take over the series. Very cool. Just randomly. And it was fun. It was a great experience. And then the ratings did really well. And filmed here. Like filmed all yeah, around, yeah, like right? Yeah, filmed in Langley, like exactly right by my old high school. Kind of surreal, right? Like driving. Did you get to go to set? That was yeah, one question I, always, I had. I would always go to set kind of around lunchtime. That's and that's not really do. normal, right? Like a writer wouldn't necessarily go to set. Yeah, sometimes directors don't like it. But I say, oh, no, I'm just, I'm coming for the free meal. Yeah. And so I'll just go for the free meal and stuff like Crafty. that. Crafty. When you do more <laughs> independent stuff, then you're on a little more. But with TV, you know, you can go and hang out, but it's boring and your job's already done. If your job's done correctly, you don't really need to be there. Right. Because the director's going to fix this for the production day and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll call me, you know, like when the FBI is... You know, arresting your lead actor and say, okay, we have to shoot something today. What can we shoot today? Right. So I had to go and go on set and try to rewrite the movie as we were halfway through filming. So was that a big shock, all of that? Like, you know, you were, you were a bit on a roll, right? Like, uh, Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't even just much. It was just shocking to everyone because yes. she literally is Aunt Becky. That's who she is right. in real life. Yeah. So it was just so shocking. Well, and it really hit it here because, I mean, that employs a lot of people in Vancouver. Yeah, exactly. Those and Hallmark so had, movies, right? And so we would do four of those a year. And then just halfway through the second one, it just, everything happened. And then, like, we're shutting down. And, you know, so it was just, it was kind of a shocking day. Absolutely. But at the same time, it was then going back to that, well, I'll show you, I'll get out of this kind of mentality of being in film school and at UFB and, and that teacher. It's just, you always just have to be, I'll show you how I get out of this. That's amazing. And so, You're yeah. like your own mystery. You're like page 30. <laughs> <laughs> every every moment of this was I, page 30 I'm on your formula. I'm page 30. <laughs> like, how am I going to get out of this? What do I do? I love so, it. Yeah, so now I'm just doing all the other mysteries that they have because they have a whole, they have the Hallmark channel and then they have a side channel called 
Hallmark movie and mysteries and stuff like that. So now they're just trying to fill that void of the garage sale mysteries. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing a, a crossword mystery, which is um, Lacey Chabert. She was on Party of Five. Yes. And so we're shooting three more of those right now in Toronto. Uh, and then I'm doing another one, which I'm not allowed to talk about, with Jesse Metcalf. Cool. And we're going to shoot in Victoria, like, next month. That's exciting. Um, don't worry, you don't have to cut that out because I didn't give the title or no, anything No, no, like I'm not cutting <laughs> We have to keep Jesse Metcalf in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. For he's, the ladies. He's dreamy. He's yes. dreamy. He is dreamy. Um, so have you been on set in L.A., too? Have you ever been on yeah, set? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to know your observations for Vancouver set and L.A. set. Yeah. I think... Uh, yeah, I don't want to piss anyone off, but I think Vancouver crews just do a little bit faster. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, everyone, just because, you know, we're shooting 8 to 12-page days, and then in L.A., it's just a little bit slower. Um, you can get some cool, like, we have a lot of big talent here in Vancouver, and even just, even a day player will just come in and do one monologue will be really good, just because they're just, they're trained to be quick. right. Whereas I think they have a little more stall time in L.A. And also I would say, is it harder to break in? Like I've heard people say in terms of crews, there's a lot of nepotism and family, you know, like inroads in terms of getting work at, in film in Los Angeles. Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, no, definitely. But yeah. I would say you kind of have that here. But I think it's easier to work your way and build your resume here and then go down, you know, work your way up. Get a little cred. Get a little, get a little cred. Then you go down there and you get street cred on an L.A. production then you come back here and your paycheck goes up. Yes. Oh, you were just on that L.A. film? Isn't that funny? Yeah. And, oh, and again, I hate to do parallels with advertising, but leaving an agency and going to another one. Yeah. And then coming back. Makes the other one jealous. And you make like, more oh, money. It's thanks, so it's so ridiculous. For coming back, and then they're like, we can't keep anybody. And it's like, but stop this with the yeah, ping pong, right? Yeah, yeah, If you want to keep someone, just keep giving them a raise. Exactly. But they just don't do that. Yeah. You kind of have to bounce around. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so how's the food in L.A. Uh, on set? I'm always curious if it's, you know, because they're so healthy. But I feel like Vancouver's just surpassed that. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's it's pretty equal. I think the sets are pretty equal as far as food. Okay. Depending on the level of production. And then there's Absolutely. sushi involved at a higher level. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when was your first kind of starstruck moment on set? Uh, I don't really get starstruck okay. by actors. I noticed when you came in here you weren't. So. <laughs> you played it cool. No, I, I hit it well. I hit it well. I was very, I was trembling quite a bit. Um, no, I get like uh, more starstruck by like uh, rock stars and stuff like that okay. in, uh, in LA and stuff just because of my upbringing. But uh, yeah, no, I just remember hearing Edward Furlong from Terminator 2. It was like the first time I was on set in LA and just hearing him say the words and I thought that was pretty cool. And then getting to hang out with him and create terror after hours, like just extreme terror. And what was that for? What was that for? <laughs> that was my first movie. And it was just, I had sold it through Inktip and sold it for like nothing. That was the one we shot for 80 grand just in the desert in Barstow. So then they had to take a whole crew and just put us in this hotel and then give us nothing to do, you know, once everything ended. What could go wrong? Which was a big mistake because this, and this was even before, like, What do you the mean movie. there's so much to do in Barstow? Exactly. <laughs> and it, actually, we weren't even in Barstow. We were, like, halfway between Barstow and Vegas, so there was nothing. There was just a diner. And dead bodies buried. Oh, there are dead bodies everywhere. <laughs> there really are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are. Uh, and so we had, like, people in the night there called the Sand People. 
like Star Wars that would come in and loot the trucks and stuff Are like that. Are you serious? That. And so we tell the sheriff, and the sheriff's like, well, it's if it's out here, it's legally they're allowed to take your stuff. If you're in the in this part of the desert, they can go in and take whatever they want. Oh, my and God. And it's just called, like, salvaging, just like when stuff washes up on shore. And Locations was not aware of this. No, <laughs> they were not. <laughs> Somebody in Locations didn't do their homework. But then, yeah, and so the last night of shooting, it got really out of control, and we had known everyone at the diner, and they just said, bring in your own drinks, bring in whatever you want, and you can do whatever you want. <laughs> And so that was kind of the start of the night was this was before the movie The Hangover even existed where you don't quite remember what happened last night yeah. until we just get a knock on the hotel room door and it's the sheriff. And he's like, what did you guys do last night? We're like, oh, no, we just kind of hung out at the hotel. And then what did you do? And they were like, oh, it all started coming back. And we're like, uh, no, nothing. He goes, let's go to the tape. And it was exactly like the tape in The Hangover where they watch themselves all thinking they're oh, hilarious. Man. And, and we had just taken – we haven't done anything like this since. And I think it was everyone on the crew's first shoot too with the exception of the actors because we had like Amber Benson who was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Furlong who had done all the, the Terminator 2 and everything. Of course. You know, American History X and stuff like that. So they were they were professionals. But, uh, yeah, it just ended up the crew, we took stuff from the lobby and took it out to the desert. Like Burning and, Man. And then actually burnt it. <laughs> oh, that was foreshadowing. And we're like, no, 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 that never happened. And then it was like, yeah, no, go to the tape. Whoa. And then there's us loading it in and everything like That's that. That's a true L.A. like crazy film story. Yeah. And I didn't was, see that coming that was, at all. That was my first film experience. And I was like, wow, are they all going to be like this? And then nothing ever was like that again. It was just that one then it was just great sh- moment in time. <laughs> and then everything else uh, started shooting in Vancouver. So Vancouver was very professional and everyone, you know, everyone's union and gets in and gets out and it's great. Yeah, Whereas- I love the parallels because I'm not, I've only shot a couple commercials in LA, which is not you know, I'm curious about the actual sets and the studios and the lots. And right. I feel like people feel like that's a big, veiled, unknown world. And, and we kind of... Um, well, the lots are different, though. The lots are very high security. And, you know, you need a, a pass. I'm like, well, no, I'm the writer. I'm actually a producer on this as well. And like, well, now so we have to have co- someone come out to the gate to let you in. They do that here at Supernatural, though, because my husband oh, worked on it. And he's like, you can't even... You can, like, stay at the street idling and I'll run out and get something. They won't let you in. Ah. And I was surprised. I was right. like, what? Come on. It's but been Supernatural like- kind of went to that L.A. level it did. of, like, fandom and stuff it like did. that. In yeah. the same way that Riverdale does. And yeah, exactly. Bates Motel stuff. I know. It's amazing how much is shot here now. Like, it's... it's Everything. I you- think usually it goes L.A., us, and then New York or Toronto. But I think... I don't know. It just depends on whatever you read. But we were la- we were like second the last time I checked. And how does they? I wonder how LA feels about that. Well, they hate it, and especially <laughs> when I first started going down. I wouldn't even tell people that I was from Canada. Wow, really? Because there was a big resentment, like a chip on their shoulder at first. Like and you're taking shit away, like, kind of. Yeah, but now it's like we're flying them all up here to work here and stuff like that, so they're fine. But like it was like. Well, I remember. I remember and someone then I telling have to me disguise the Canadian accent. Have to say about in yeah, the house. Ab- <laughs> and uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, instead of A. Yeah, uh-huh. uh-huh and people call uh-huh. you ma'am and you uh-huh. feel 107 at like <laughs> Starbucks. Like, uh-huh, yeah. thanks ma'am. And I'm like, no. Yeah, I was like, never call it's me. Over. Never call me sir again. But I heard a rumor too that one of the shows got moved from Vancouver to LA or LA to Vancouver. And when the crew here opened up the trucks, they'd written shit, like 
fuck you and all kinds of oh, stuff. Really? And they were just like, what was the show? I, I don't remember. And even you if I did, I'm not going to Google shows that move from LA to Vancouver. And yes, the crew was like, ouch, like Canadian crews are just like, it's not us. What do we do? Yeah, exactly. And they're just so angry. And it's like, yeah. oh, Stealing that American little brother jobs. feeling of just like, oh, yeah. And really a lot of them would love to be in LA, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd love to have that whole vibe. So how you how often do you go down to LA, you were saying? I go like five or six times just to take meetings and schmooze and So you don't feel like you need to live there. Like forgetting you have a family and stuff here. Right. If you say you were no, single. Absolutely not. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Because that's rare. I do not hear that often. Everyone thinks they need to move to LA. No, and you definitely don't want to go to LA before you have some type of credit up here because I think a lot of people go to LA right away out of film school or acting school or whatever. Too soon. And then you get down there and you don't know anyone or you know one person, you have a roommate or something like that. And then you're just working as, you know, you're working a server job while trying to be an actor and everything like that. And, or you can't even get hired because you don't have a visa to work down there. Is it as daunting as people think? Is it as magical and crazy in LA to get into that world as people think now that you've kind of seen both sides? I'd love for you to break any misconceptions, right? To break from being a waiter to being... No, no, just just of L.A. being this hard-to-reach place for film and being able to get in as a writer. Or... No, absolutely not. No, I think it's it's easier than ever to get in. It's just harder than ever to get something made right. because of the stuff that's being released theatrically. You know, you're competing against Avengers you well, know, and someone screen. Someone wrote two books now are being turned into scripts. Like uh, right. when it's I when easier I easier to sell a book than it yeah. is a script, and that's a new thing. Yeah, so that's what it's I was showing saying. success twice, kind Write of thing, a right? Book, and even if it's a bad book, we're probably going to turn it into something. Or a graphic novel is, I think, is even better because you can also build a cult following around the net and stuff, and then you also see visually what it's going to look like on screen. So I'm so sorry for my ignorance. Write, is a graphic novel like a comic? It's, it's Yeah, it's a comic that's like novel length or novella length. Okay, gotcha. So that's what I would say to people, you know, make friends with your artists. Wow, uh, that's such interesting do, advice. comics, you know, and get something off the ground. Or if you, if you have an idea, you know, write it as a script and then hire someone. You could pay them like five to seven grand to do all the – the graphic novel stuff, right. and then you take that into your pitch meeting. That's what I would say to do. Well, and a lot of people I know too, they do like like package pitch package stuff, and they don't actually write anything. You know, they're writing their little premise and their little book, their pro- whatever you call Which that. Which is great, but if you're up against another package that has a script, you're going to lose every time. Right? Yeah, I wanted your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's everyone, and that's the thing with LA, and certainly here in Vancouver. Of course, everyone has an idea. Everyone has a script. It doesn't necessarily. A, make it a good idea or, or whatever. But if you have a script, you know, you can edit a script. You can't edit that blank page of this is what I want it to be is you're never – well, I don't want to say never, but if you're going up against someone that has a script, you're going up against everyone else. It's not like, you know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. That's that's really good advice because it's really hard to know those things sometimes yeah. being here. You just know? get a script done. Yeah, and just write it. it. Get those typos out at least. Yeah. And just make those 10 pages the best 10 pages you've ever read and read the first 10 pages to every one of your favorite scripts and then adversely read the pages of the biggest seller 
those first 10 pages are everything because a lot of people, especially assistants, when you have like 20 scripts to read on the weekend, you're just going to read the first 10 pages. You're going to read the first page. And then, you know, it's all about that first 10 pages. If you can get them past that first 10 pages, you can make a sale. You know, so when just I just focus on that first act. Yeah, that's good. That's really good advice because I think it's impossible to know what's right to do. And I mean, I had an idea for a short, but it's yeah. like, does anybody even want shorts anymore? Like, are you just making a short to say, I made a thing, I, I wrote this and I directed it, you know, just to be creative, you know? Yeah. Well, with shorts, you want to do that short and they're a great calling. You want to do that short that could be made into a feature. Okay. That's the point. If your short can't be made in, into a feature, I would not make a short for any reason. Interesting. Unless it's just you're doing it for practice. Yeah, to, to do make a thing. Something else. To be creative, even. Like you said, your haiku or poetry. If you're doing it to express. Yeah, yeah. If you want that's to do expensive. Like a, a small experimental film, then do it, you know, because there's a lot of great ones out there. But you want to use it as just a launching pad, a diving board to get to that feature. Let's just take and just really focus on the characters and focus on the twist. And I would say make your short as weird as possible because that's what stands out. Yeah. You don't want to do, you know, like a Hallmark short. You don't want to do a lifetime. You don't want to do a sci-fi. You want to do something really weird. Mm -hmm. I do like there's like Swiss Army Man. Did you ever see that? And it was just like a dead corpse for the whole movie. Yes. That got like tons of press of like, what the hell is this? Napoleon Dynamite was a short film like that, right? Right. And that's how they got their funding to do the big one. So just do, just as much as your voice. And that's the only thing that separates you from other people. Everyone can come up literally with the same idea for an action movie or a thriller, but it's the way you tell it that separates you from everyone. So just show your voice and that's how you get that feature. If you want to be a writer director, that's what I would definitely do. I love that. That's such sound advice. So what what's the rest of your year look like? What are you what are you dabbling in the rest of this year? We're halfway through. Yeah. Okay. I got a uh, some Hallmark mysteries coming in October. Is that the crossword ones? Yeah, those come out. I think there's there'll be three of them or four of them. Well, I'm writing the fourth one, so maybe there are just three of them. Anyways, they're coming out in October. Um, and then the other Jesse Metcalf one is going to shoot soon, so it's probably coming out around the same time. And then we're just doing this other one, Bandit, which is the passion project, which is the Canadian indie with. with I'm really with legs excited about that. Like that. That's like Viva Canada on that yeah, one. Yeah, and that's the big one uh, for me because I'm a producer, I'm a creative producer, and we're out to cast. And So tell me a little bit, just, you know, as we're wrapping things up, you know, yeah. foraying into this producer world. Yeah. I've had a producer on before, but. How does that work in terms of being the writer and then being having producer credits? How does that change? Just unpack that a bit for a everyone. A lot of it, with, if you're a writer going into a producer standpoint, just means that you're doing a lot of free rewrites. <laughs> <laughs> for future. Yeah, we'll bring you on as creative producer, and then you build up your, your credits that way. And why do you want to be producer? To have more input? Yeah, because then you get more control, and then you get funding from Telefilm and Harold Greenberg Fund and all the great Canadian Funding and stuff like that, you know, or I have an executive producer credit on this new Netflix one that's coming out. I so saw now, the trailer. Now I have a Netflix secret of, secret obsession. Yes, and that was filmed here too. No, that oh. one was Malibu. Malibu, and that was just a script I sold like ten years ago and didn't think anything would come of it. Wow, you just get a call like random six months ahead of time. We're gonna make this movie. You ready? Okay. So do you get more money for it once it's made? Like you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's like, when you get the. 
The big that's money. a nice surprise. First day of shooting, that's when your paycheck comes in as a writer that will pay for the rest of your year. And is that that's that's when you're done getting paid for that? You don't get anything past that if you don't have producer credits, let's say. Uh, no, not necessarily. Especially if you're Canadian, it's really good because there's like a Canadian law that they have to pay you residuals, oh. even if it's not in your contract. Nice. Which I didn't know. Until I joined the guild. Like, no, that's the law. You've not been getting paid. So then I just start getting all these. Wow. For, for non-guild stuff. I just got all these paychecks coming in and stuff. It's great. Well, good for you. I'm super excited to. I, I actually saw the, the trailer for Secret Obsession and I'm hooked. It's good. And, and it's, yeah. there's a bit of a thing with this one is the audience knows before yes. the, the main character Because does. that's what producers will always, or execs will always say, never let your audience be ahead of your main character. But when you're doing a thriller, especially if it's a psychological thriller, right. if your audience knows, like, I'm not, this is not a mystery. We tell you exactly what it is mm-hmm. in, in the trailer. It's, it's scary. It's like Hitchcock. That's what he did is he just, you know, the bomb is scarier than the explosion. Right. That ticking bomb is now how do they get out of that situation? Yeah, I don't know how I feel about them because I've, I've, I've read both ways in novels and stuff. Yeah. I like not knowing. Right. And that's just as a personal preference. Yeah, I think it definitely makes it more of a Watching page. the two ends meet to me is not as exciting. I think, I think watching it is better when you, you know, uh, but if you're reading, you need a page turner. And I like, you know, your commercial breaks or your end of chapter breaks. For sure, if I'm reading a book, that's exactly the way I want. Yes. But when I'm seeing it, True, in you're right. Film, There's a difference. In film, when I'm just sitting there watching, I'm like, oh, geez. You know, you're like saying, you know, don't go into the barn or Yeah, whatever, exactly. Whatever no, is, like trying know? to prevent that catastrophe. Yeah. But now in this one, we're doing it for an hour straight of the audience knows everything, but your character doesn't. Good so for it's kind of neat. It's awesome. So hopefully people like it. It was a good premiere. And, uh, and a lot of stuff going straight to Netflix now, which I think is super interesting and cool. Yeah, because Netflix has a lot of Canadian content, so they're always looking for – so it's a great time actually to be a writer-producer in Canada because of places like Netflix. And they've opened in Toronto. Didn't they open like a big yeah, yeah, yeah. studio this year? Yeah. They're, they're opening in every, in every country. They're going to open a place because you're providing content specifically for Spain or Germany or whatever – you know, so, so is that promising for Canadian writers? It is because you can do stuff that you can't do on TV. Yeah, exactly. True. You're not beholden by all of those rules. Right, right. Of certain things you can say and stuff like that. So I think it's a great time to be a writer. You just have to hustle. Well, that's every time. I mean, let's end on that. That's amazing yeah. and true. And you know what? That's the time old lesson. There's no trick to it. It sounds like a cliche, but there was more talented writers than me in my film class. But they gave up because they were discouraged or someone said they suck or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, just keep going. Well, there's that quote. It's like, you know, there's 90% of people are doing the things that you don't want to do just because they thought they could do it. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. Like they literally just believed in themselves. Yeah. You know, because people always give up just right before they're about to break through. Or even if they're not about, even if it's going to be a couple of years, just keep pushing through. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's the last person standing gets it. Well, and I feel like you're an inspiration for that. So I guess. thanks for being here. <laughs> no, you are. And you know what? I survived. That, and that whole, like, I'll tell you, I'll show you. I mean, that's literally driven your career. That's, everything. that's what it's Michael Jordan did. That's what Michael Jordan did. Yeah. You know? Well, you're Michael he, Jordaning through these screenplays. Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> he's a good player. And Should we give any credit to David Lee Roth? <laughs> yeah, David Lee Roth got it. That was, that was ultimate. I feel like you might, you know, if you win an Academy Award, he's going to expect David a thank you. David Lee Roth. He's not going to remember it either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
David, if you're listening to this. David Leroth, I know you're not listening, but if you are, thank you. You inspired me to go on and... Uh, you're the man. Yeah. Does he have a star? I don't think so. He should, though. He should definitely have a star in West Hollywood. He should. Outside the Viper and, and uh, the Rainbow. You should start and... canvassing for that in your spare time. I should, actually. I'm going to start a writing campaign as soon as uh, I'm done here. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. <laughs> Thanks Take for care. having me. I appreciate Thank you. it. If you want to learn more about my podcast, you can go to vantropolispodcast.com or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also leave me a review on iTunes, subscribe, or share it with someone you love. Or don't love. Just share it.